Welcome to the Growth Beyond Trauma podcast. Thanks for being with us. I'm your host, Hannah, from Hannah McKim Coaching. And I'm a trauma-informed coach, passionate about supporting you to uncover your authentic self, empowering you to live life through the lens of joy and abundance following trauma. This is a content warning that the issues we will be discussing may be upsetting. So please look after yourself. If you don't feel fully resourced right now, then please feel free to come back and listen to us at another point when you do feel ready. And remember to lean into your self-care. You are important. My desire is that this podcast will be a guide for you on your healing journey as you discover tools that offer freedom from the hold of trauma. We are here to walk alongside you as you explore new ways to reconnect to yourself and others, as you find tools to release the coping strategies that no longer serve you, and feel inspired and empowered to reframe what is possible for you in your life. Welcome to the next episode of uh, Growth Beyond Trauma. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Today I have got author uh, Winnie M. Lee with me today. I've, I've actually just completed both of her books um, and I'm really excited to kind of dive into the themes that have come up. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm just going to do a bit of an introduction to you, if that's okay, and okay. Um, and then we'll just get into it. So uh, Winnie is an author, activist and rape survivor. Um, she's worked as a film producer in London before her life was uh, disrupted by a violent stranger rape in Belfast in 2008. And her debut novel, uh, Dark Chapter, is a fictional retelling of this event from the victim to the perpetrator perspectives. Um, and that's kind of, I guess, the part that I found really interesting was, was that um, the alternative perspectives in that. Um, and this has been, uh, has won the Guardian's Not the Booker Prize and was nominated for an Edgar Award. So congratulations for that. Um, and you uh, are currently adapting this for screen, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I've written the screenplay version of it, um, which is always a work in progress, but that's been an interesting experience to do the screenplay adaptation. Um, yeah, yeah, brilliant. I'm really excited to, to see how that goes. Um, and then your second novel, Complicit, uh, was published uh, last summer in 2022 and has been selected for the New York Times uh, Monthly Book Club, which is brilliant. Um, yeah. And you've also co-founded the Clear Lines Festival, which was the UK's first ever festival addressing sexual assault um, and consent through the arts and discussion. Um, you've also, not that you haven't got enough to do, you've also got an ongoing PhD uh, research in the London School of Economics, exploring, exploring uh, media engagement by rape survivors as a form of activism. Um, yeah. And you've also, yeah, lots of talks and appeared in lots of uh, TV and news and uh, you've also got a TEDx London talk um, which I'm happy to link in the show notes and if there's anything else that you know that you find would be relevant to the conversation you know happy to do that so anybody who's listening can follow along and and you know just see what you're up to and, and get involved. So that's kind of uh, a basic introduction I guess that um, I've kind of pulled together um, to introduce you is there anything that I've, I've like missed from that or anything new or anything um 
Um, not especially. It's just that obviously because of, you know, my rape happening in Belfast, I kind of, you know, as you can hear from my voice, I'm American. Um, so I, I didn't really grow up with the tie to Belfast or anything like that. But because of what happened there um, and because of, I suppose, what I did afterwards in terms of going back to Belfast to research for Dark Chapter and then kind of trying to maintain relationships with, um, you know, advocates around sexual violence um, in Northern Ireland and meeting other survivors and, you know, uh, meeting people like yourself and other writers who write around the topic. I've kind of, um, yeah, developed this bizarre kind of quite nice relationship with Northern Ireland in terms of like understanding the issue there a bit. Um, mm -hmm. And I suppose it's just kind of the stuff that can happen after something as violent and traumatic as a rape that, you know, there are ways to kind of deepen your understanding of of a place or community or just of an experience um, if you choose to go there. So that's kind of one of the sort of nice things that's come about as a result of mm -hmm. not my rape, but as a result of the, the kind of life changes that can happen after an assault. Um, so I kind of always sort of like to look on the positive side of things, even though obviously, you know, there was a lot of trauma and there still continues to be, you know, different mm. forms of um, kind of emotional impact um, of my own rape. Yeah, of course. And um, and yeah, I think that all, I suppose the emotion of all of that, I, I feel came through in the books. And I think it's, it, it's made for really good books, but also books that really... Um, help to expand that conversation and and be I suppose like an in for people to to try and talk about the subject of rape and sexual abuse and sexual assaults and sexual violence and so yeah I think that's you know congratulations for that as well because I know that you know I suppose you can go one of two ways when you experience trauma is that you know completely avoid it and not want to engage with it but then to give yourself to it that way you know um definitely commend you for you know for doing that um and having the artwork um as an example of that so yeah well thank you and it's not you know I mean I know you said you can go one of two ways I mean but there's you can always also change your path somewhere along the mm. way and I certainly know survivors who have didn't speak about it for years and decided to stay silent and then years later did decide to turn to it through their art or their activism or through mm. other works so I mean it's not it's not like you take a choice and then your path goes off in one direction. Like you, you know, there's always ways of, of, of finding your way back. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, but in my case, obviously I, you know, I almost didn't have a choice because my rape was so widely reported um, mm. in, in the press in Northern Ireland that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to avoid the reality of what happened to me. Um, so I just kind of yeah. like, okay, well, this is, this is my life now. I'm, I'm a rape survivor. Right? Or I, or at that point I felt like very much like I was a victim of, it's kind of crazy violent crime that you never would have expected happening to you so yeah yeah, yeah. no of course and we'll definitely go into that you know mm -hmm. more in more details of go in do you want to sort of uh like introduce the, the books before we start yeah sure i mean so um so i've written two books so, so dark chapter is the one that came out in 2017 and that's the one which is like very closely a about my rape, but it's a fictional reimagining of my rape from the viewpoint of um, a victim very similar to myself, but then also my perpetrator, who in real life was a 15-year-old boy um, who just followed me in a park, um, Colin Glenn Forest Park in West Belfast. Um, 
And so I wanted to imagine, um, you know, what had happened in his life that had led him to being so violent um, at such a young age and maybe imagine how his life was like afterwards. Um, and obviously that's fiction, right? You know, there there is a real life individual whom I don't know that much about. Um, but for me, that was kind of a, a way that I as a writer and also as a survivor and a human could try to make sense of this quite senseless act of violence that had changed the course of my life. Um, so that was Dark Chapter, um, and that was obviously very personal to me, and it was quite raw in the writing. Um, and then Complicit came out last year, so that's um, five years after Dark Chapter came out, um, and that's about uh, broadly Me Too in the film industry, but I used to work in film. Um, so I, and my film career ended with the rape, you know, not not that it was a Harvey Weinstein situation or anything like that, but you know, the impact of uh, an experience like being the victim of a, of a violent rape is that it kind of changes your life in a lot of different ways. And so my kind of professional career trajectory ended because the PTSD and the depression were too much for me to be able to continue being a film producer. Um, so there's always a big sense of loss about losing that career indirectly. Well, I mean, directly because of the sexual violence that happened to me, even though it wasn't somebody like Harvey Weinstein. Um, and then when the Weinstein allegations went public in 2017, just after a dark chapter came out, I was like, oh, this is interesting, right? You know, that mm. here, here's like a perpetrator who was like very well known in the industry. Um, and I could, as somebody who'd worked in the industry, I could completely understand why he was able to get away with, you know, with the crimes that he was committing against so many um, women. Um, but then a lot of people didn't work in the industry, didn't understand. So I thought like, okay, is there a way I can write about this um, where it's, it is about really the industry and having that kind of aspirations as a young woman of, of, of you know, making your way um, in film and you know, having a really exciting career and finding that you've run up against so many obstacles, one of which is, um, is you know, the huge misogyny that's in this industry and how vulnerable you can be as a young woman in a workplace that's run by powerful men. So um, that was kind of my way of, I suppose, channeling my sense of loss about losing my own film producing career, but then mm -hmm. also my kind of love of cinema, right? Um, while also writing about a topic that meant a lot to me. So it's obviously not as directly personal as um, Dark Chapter, but it, you know, it's possibly, a, you know, a lighter read, I suppose, give it, I mean, it's about, you know, there's still that subject matter, but it is also about kind of the supposed glamour of the industry and how hmm. duped we can be um, as young people thinking that, you know, we're going to be stars or we're going to be producers um, and not really realizing the inequalities there. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's Complicit, which came out last year. Um, so they're quite different novels, but they are thematically linked and I wanted to write them in quite different ways as well, because that was more interesting for me, you know, as an artist, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, I suppose that's, I guess, what I wanted to draw on, um, I guess, with this interview is looking at those, those themes so that they, you know, while they're different reads, they, they still sort of have those strong themes that relate through it. Um, and um, I know there's, there's been a lot of this to come out in the, in the UK at the moment around, um, you know, sexual harassment, especially online sexual harassment um and there was a quote by professor Morton smith um who talked about how um you know crime crimes like rape for example um aren't entry-level crimes and um, that there's signs and behaviors and patterns um yeah that that happen before we get there um but most of these signs and patterns and red flags are defended excused and justified um and so there's blame put on the victim um and i know that like this is something that 
you explore um through through as I say both both of your books um mm-hmm. so could you sort of talk a little bit more about um maybe like the research that you did that went into to looking at these kind of behaviors that that lead into to what you know perpetrators end up uh, ultimately doing then yeah I mean for Dark Chapter um yeah I did a lot of research for Dark Chapter I mean so that came out in 2017 I'd say from 2014 to 2015 16 I was researching that quite heavily um and that the writing of it and the researching of that book was was part of my own kind of I suppose personal project in terms of taking this horrible thing that happened to me and you know trying to turn it into something more uh more wide-reaching like a book um so I came back to Belfast to do research um in the summer of 2014 and um yeah I was terrified (laughs) I was terrified of coming back to Belfast because you know like any trauma victim I you know associated you know I had all these like kind of irrational associations with my trauma so um hearing a northern Irish accent at the time not anymore you know would bring back waves of trauma for me and so just the thought of going back to Belfast you know, and setting foot in the city, which I, you know, associated with my rape so strongly, um, was terrifying. Um, so I think for me, that was like a very big personal obstacle I had to overcome, but I was like, you know, I need to do this to research, to write the novel. Um, so, you know, I, I reached out to a number of people that work with juvenile offenders, um, some people who work with, you know, juvenile offenders who are sex offenders as well, and, you know, people who, forensic psychologists, um, People who work at High Bank Woods, you know the um, the, the juvenile detention center there, um, and uh, people who work in the probation services. So I and also um, yeah, I just wanted to get a glimpse of psychologists who've worked with offenders, particularly young offenders, to kind of get a sense of how something could happen like that, how somebody could become so violent at such a young age. Mm. And you're right. I mean, as uh, you know, as that quote that you you gave us um, points to, it, it's not like nobody goes from zero to being like a stranger rapist, right? You know, there would have been a series of kind of incidences prior to that where that individual, in my case, you know, in the case of my perpetrator, somebody very young might have started to cross the line um, and started to be a little bit violent. And then because he was able to get away with it, you know, an increasing level of violence. Um, and again, I'm not a psychologist, but there is often that kind of association between getting away with it and a certain kind of thrill so um mm. I kind of wanted to try to capture that when I was writing Johnny Johnny's obviously the perpetrator in my first book Dark Chapter and and I guess the the key for me was like half the book is told from his perspective and mm. of course he's not a likable character he's a teenage rapist right but I also had to get to the humanity of him um and if I didn't like the book wasn't really going to work so for me it's like here's somebody who's incredibly young um, and at his young age, you know, obviously has a warped view of the world, um, obviously maybe sees the world in a way where it's about something that he can't get. And um, because of his background, you know, he's, he's got a fairly neglected childhood um, because of the violence he was subjected to in his own child, you know, in his own life, because in, in my fictional version, he's he's the victim of, you know, child abuse as well. Um, he mm. has this understanding of violence equals power. And, you know, and he, lives on the margins of society um is this kind of like 
feral teenager that nobody likes, right? Um, so for him, you know, no one ever takes him seriously. Nobody ever cares about him. So like being able to inflict violence on another person and have that kind of moment of power is is sort of what does give him a thrill. So it really is about now again. I have to stress it's a you know he's a he's a fictional character, um, possibly you know inspired by my real life rapist. Um, but you know for me it was about that's his trajectory. Mm-hmm. And how does that cross over with Vivian's trajectory, who was a very different character, you know, and just happens to be walking in a park, um, you know, at, at the wrong time of day, you know, where she crosses paths with him. Um, so it's about how that that intersection of lives, you know, um, it causes trauma mm-hmm. in both their lives in different ways. Um, so, yeah. So for me, it was about trying to get to the humanity of his character. And that also meant, you know, he's very young and mm-hmm. he, you know, he got more attention from his from his father. Or he wishes he, he looks up to his older brother, who is like six years older in this very different way with women. You know, so he mm-hmm. kind of models himself after his older brother, despite being incredibly young and not really, you know, having a, a full understanding of what he's doing in some ways. And yeah, also knowing that what he's done doing is bad, but mm-hmm. there is that compulsion to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. And how did you I mean, how did you find that writing, you know, that character and, and like as I say, finding that humanity, um, knowing that as you say it was influenced by your experience? Um, yeah, I mean, the writing of Dark Chapter was quite challenging, as you can imagine, because in Mm. some ways when I was writing Vivian, I was writing, like, the worst episode of my life, right, you know, so I was kind of reliving, like, all the the trauma and the PTSD and, like, the years of depression afterwards, so that wasn't actually fun for me to write Vivian's section, even though I felt like it was important, Mm. um, because to bring that to life for your readers um but I so for me it was always kind of a bit of a break from that to be able to write Johnny who is so different from my own life um and that whole project of trying to make him a human you know full-fledged human being um was you know in its own way quite productive and interesting for me so I didn't Mm. and there is obviously a sadness in his life as well so um yeah, I mean, it, it was a book that I wrote out of necessity, um, and, you know, it was quite raw, the whole writing of it. it was my first novel, I didn't know what I was doing, frankly, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was, and I was, I was most worried about, like, if I could capture his voice, if I could make him a believable character, um, which I, I guess I have, right, um, because mm. people like the book, so, um, yeah, like, you know, I'm only going to write one book like that, you know, and everything else, you know, complicit's much more kind of commercial, much more kind of catering towards a mainstream audience while still addressing this issue. Um, the book mm-hmm. I'm running on, working on right now is um, maybe touches on the issue a little bit, but is, you know, it's, it's again, more mainstream. So I, at the time, I wasn't thinking of my future books. I was just thinking of, you know, that one book I was writing and how, for me, it had to be an authentic journey um, into these characters' lives, but also an authentic journey for me, uh, you know, as a, as a victim survivor and as a writer. And did you find it quite cathartic then at the end when it was, when it was sort of written and it was done or how did you, because you're saying it was a very uh, difficult write for you in, in terms of the personal side of it? Um, I mean, it was definitely, you know, difficult for me to write, but also quite, fascinating right you know mm-hmm. I me mean, i'm a writer right so i always kind of i always like writing challenges right so i could have also just not written the book right or i could have written it as memoir which wouldn't have allowed me to explore johnny's character in the same way so i mean i found yeah i found the process yes it was tough emotionally but creatively it, it was you know quite rewarding in some ways um people often ask me if it's cathartic to write a book and i guess 
you know, when I think of the word catharsis, like you, you, you get a sense of like, oh, there's one moment where like you've achieved something or like the mountaintop and like, you know, you just, yeah. it's a moment of release. But like, there's no one moment when you're ever done writing a book, yeah. I suppose, because it's like you finish the first draft and then, then you got to do a second draft and then you got to do a third draft and you got to do a draft, you know, line edit with your editor and all that. Um, So, and I copy it. So it's kind of never actually finished. And even when it's like published and in book form, I suppose then you're like, okay, it's finished, but then nobody's read it by that point when you're holding like the first cop, like, you know, copy, physical copy in your hand. So like, so when is it ever finished when you have your book launch? Well, then there's like all this press you have to do afterwards mm-hmm. in advance. There's never any like one point where you feel like, okay, I've done it, I've achieved it. And maybe mm-hmm. that's kind of my own uh, attitude towards things. Maybe I should just, you know, be more celebratory mm-hmm. about these things. But, um, you know, I get, it's the same thing with with trauma, I suppose. You're never actually like finished, but you, I guess you feel like you've reached milestones. Um, so I, for, for me with Dark Chapter, I don't know what that milestone would have been, right? Um, so um yeah i didn't i can't really say i found it cathartic in that sense but certainly it was rewarding to have you know taken Mm -hmm. that trauma and taken an idea which you know the idea for dark chapter came to me like quite early on it was just a few weeks after the assault that i thought of you know wouldn't it be cool to write a you know fiction that looks at these two characters lives and how they intersect to have like had that idea you know in 2008 and then to actually have turned it into a book by 2017 like yeah no that's pretty cool when i think about it but at 2017 when the book was coming out and i was promoting it i didn't really have a moment to like sit and dwell on it so um so yeah so thank you hannah for yeah. asking me yeah. this question because like now in yeah. 2022 i'm like yeah, that's a pretty cool accomplishment so <laughs> um yeah, yeah and, it, and it's always like you say it's always evolving you know i think uh, i like the parallel between the, the when you're talking about trauma and also art you know that hmm. both of them don't necessarily have an ending to it it's yeah. just evolving and growing and um and we I'd take different things out of it at different times and you know maybe if I'd you know read that book at a different time I might yeah. not have got what I got from it this time um and I actually you know read in the book as well because I've had similar experiences mm-hmm. I really had to make sure like I was looking after myself and taking breaks and like yeah. uh, you know walking and doing physical things really helped when I was yeah. reading it as well and listening to it so yeah. um but I I don't feel that maybe I could have read it at a different time you know so I think you, you take what you need at, at different times and yeah I suppose the yeah. same goes then for for writing and creating that artwork yeah. as well so yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like you know, I've I've only written like two two and a half books at this point, right? So it's kind of like it is sort of a learning process as well for every author, and you know, writing every book has a different every book has its own journey, right? Um, in the writing, and then also in what happens afterwards. So, um, mm. yeah, just a, an awareness that you know you have to part of it is much of it is like the process itself and being able to do that in a sustainable way um so says the person who I'm currently on the second draft of my next book and like the second draft is always like you know for me it's always like a horrible process right because it's just like a constant grind um and you know it's it's not sustainable to work at this level of intensity on the second draft like Mm. throughout the entire year so it's just an awareness that like you know, things happen in phases, right? And like, mm. after I finish this, so I can take a bit of a break, um, which is, again, similar to trauma, you know, in terms of um, you will go through intense periods mm. um, in terms of addressing what happens to you, but then also there will always be periods where, you know, it's not as intense and you can find a sense of community and a sense of um, kind yeah. of peace, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
It's really nice parallel. Let me read from like the prologue of Dark Chapter, or should yeah. we? Yeah, yeah, no, that that would be great. Okay, so this is just the prologue, and I, to be honest, I this I wrote this a few weeks after my actual assault happened, and. When you hear it, it's interesting because it's obviously not written from the point of view of somebody just a few weeks out from their trauma. It's like a few years on. So, um, yeah, I mm -hmm. guess for me, I was trying to imagine a future time when more recovery would have happened, right? If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So I was like heavily traumatized when I wrote this, but I was trying to imagine like sometime in the future, I'll have more distance between the trauma and myself. Um which, uh, you know, was that, that just kind of came to me when I was writing it. Um, but here we go. Um, so the prologue to Dark Chapter. They say events like this change your life forever, that your life will never be the same as it was the day before it happened, or even two hours before it happened, when I stood waiting for that bus out of Belfast along the Falls Road to the west of the city. Is it melodramatic to think of life like that, of a clean split struck straight down the breadth of your existence, severing your first 29 years from all the years that come after? I look across that gap now, an unexpected rift in the contour of my life, and I long to shout across that ravine to the younger me who stands on the opposite edge, oblivious to what lies ahead. She is a distant speck. She seems lost from my perspective, but in her mind, she thinks she knows where she's going. There's a hiking guidebook in her hand and a path that she is following. It will lead here, up the slope, and then along the edge of a plateau to gain the higher ground merging with the hills above the city. She does not know who follows her. She's only thinking of the path ahead. But some things she cannot anticipate. I stand now on this side of the ravine, desperate to warn my earlier self of the person trailing her, skulking from bush to tree in her wake. Stop, I want to shout. It's not worth it. Just give up the trail and go home. But she wouldn't listen anyway. She's too stubborn, too determined to hike this trail in a day this crisp and clear. And now it's too late. She's an isolated country, and even if she were to turn back, she would inevitably encounter him because he is behind her, watching her. By now, she's gained the slope and found the trail which runs between a sunlit pasture and the steep incline of the glen. She pauses for a moment, breathing in the beauty of this green track, the tree branches arching over the path, the bright field which stretches to her left. She's escaped the city, finally. This is where the countryside really begins. It seems like a little bit of heaven for one last peaceful moment. But she's perched on the edge, and to her right, the ground plunges sharply into the ravine. The river column is a distant roar. The air up here smells of manure and sun and warm grass, and lazy insects drift in the filtered light beneath the trees. And then, glancing down the wooded chasm to her right, she sees him coming up the slope, trying to hide in the brush of the forest. Something skips unnaturally in the beat of her heart. Only then does she realize she's being followed. Now, years later, it's as if I am the one following my earlier self, haunting her every step like some guardian angel arrived too late. She parts the branches in front of her, and I do it too, invisibly. She quickens her pace to lengthen the distance between him, and I fall in step. She instinctively knows she must reach the open ground before he catches her, so she tries to cover the last few yards of the path as it clears a ridge. With an invisible hand, I want to hold back the little bastard, lock him into position like a rugby player, while shouting her to keep on going, to reach the meadow and then abandon the trail. Forget about the hike, just head straight to the busy road and go home. But I am powerless to stop it. Events must unfold as they already have. 
The past is our past, so I am stranded here on this side of the ravine, watching as he catches up to her. I don't want to see the rest of it. I've replayed it enough times already. If I could just freeze it there, in that final moment, perched between the sunlit pasture and the plunging abyss, then everything would still be fine. Only then, it would not be my life. It would be someone else's pleasant stroll through the Irish countryside on a spring afternoon. But my journey turned out to be a little different. Goosebumps when I hear that. I guess I mean, it's a good thing, I guess, that it gets goosebumps. Yeah. You get goosebumps. But yeah, I mean, it's weird to me to think that I wrote that like a few a few weeks mm -hmm. after my assault. Uh, and so there's something quite hopeful about writing about it from yeah. future viewpoints. Um, but then also, yeah. you know, I wrote that and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, and it, like, I still don't really understand how I wrote it because it's just one of those things, like, I suppose as an artist, you sit down and it just comes out. And like, so like half an hour later, I'd written that and I'm like, that's pretty good. And was, so, and there was something quite um, affirmative about that, like in the midst of all the trauma I was going through, like, I, you know, I was agoraphobic at the time. I was like, oh no, I can still write this. And so part of me thought like, okay, if I can still write, then like part, I'm still on deep down part of me, I'm still me somewhere, right? You know, and, and that's mm -hmm. the thing with trauma. It is a completely, you know, it's a complete destruction of your own self. So you kind of feel, is what I was trying to capture in the words there, like, you know, there's a chasm between the self, yourself before the trauma and yourself now right so for me yeah. i was like uh, trying to bridge that chasm you know that is what recovery was about and there were certainly points in my life where i'm like i'm never going to be able to bridge that chasm right i'm never going to be able to like, kind of regain all the stuff i was able to do before the assault um so being able to write that i was like oh, no no i can still write so that was um like a bit of a seed that was planted where i was like okay no i'm i'm gonna turn this into a book somewhere down the line um which i did you know five and a half years later um so yeah that for me is really about kind of the power of writing and the ability to kind of remind yourself that you can still do things despite what's mm. happened to you and that you know somewhere down the line you will be able yeah. to write that book that you want you will be able to kind of lead the kind of life that you've you wanted to lead before before the trauma yeah, yeah yeah definitely the words yeah the word hope was what came to mind whenever I was yeah. listening to it you know and and the power of hope you know that doesn't have to be as you say, this sort of big flame and, and something that's, I guess, really obvious in that moment that's like, okay, I can do this, you know, it's just, sometimes it's that little seed, that little, um, you know, flame, just to saying, yeah, actually, you can keep going, you know, there is a part of you still there, and um, yeah, and I think I'm sort of skip, skipping down a few of the questions that I had, but the just because you touched on it there it was that idea of that loss loss of identity um, and yeah. that a lot of victims feel in the aftermath of, of the trauma um, yeah. and I think particularly sexual trauma because it's so intimate and so yeah. um, it's such a personal part of our experience um, to yeah. have to have that kind of um shifted and and perhaps you know taken away and the loss of sense of control and that um you know and, and yeah yeah sorry. so kind of hidden in some ways that like you can hmm. be a victim and then people outwardly might not know that you are right so there's you know as opposed to you know if you were hit by a car and like, you've broken your leg and all these sorts of other ways other forms of violence with sexual violence like you know it, it is very intimate and yet 
externally mm. it's not actually that visible unless somebody's really paying attention right or is familiar with the signs of, of that kind of trauma um yeah. and so yeah. I think that for me has always been the, the weirdness about it right the fact that uh, you know my life was turned upside down you know I, I wasn't there's no way I was the same person I'd been a few hours before the rape but you know anybody who saw me might have been like oh no she's she's fine mm. you know I mean, you know, um, and uh, and yeah, at the same time, it was a massive struggle for me to kind of maintain that facade. Um, yeah, so like the, the day after my rape, I, I was working as a film producer at the time. The day after my rape, I flew back to London and it was the red carpet premiere of a film that we'd worked on. And I still went to that premiere. Um, I still put on the dress and, you know, had to use concealer mm -hmm. to cover up my bruises. And it was still very much a sense of like, no, this is this was my life before. And I still want to keep doing that life right while at the same time I wasn't able to but you know I was able to walk down the red carpet and you know smile and do small talk um, which is a little bit nuts now that I think about it now um but that is something that you know survivors are capable of doing like you know we mm -hmm. are capable of putting up these facades and pretending everything's fine when it's actually not and I think a lot of people don't actually realize that and that, that requires a huge amount of effort to kind of pretend that you're normal when you've just been feel like you've just been destroyed inside um and so I think that element of facade and you know the external appearance versus like the realities that's maybe what I want to capture a bit in, in complicit a bit more in terms of um you know it's a film industry so everybody everything's a facade right um yeah, and so you get this yeah. glamorous facade red carpets and award shows and all that kind of stuff a film um but then you know what's happening behind the scenes is actually quite can be quite dark and certainly traumatic and painful for some mm. people Mm. yeah 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 I I also yes worked worked in the film industry yeah. so you know I completely I get that um I remember a little girl came up to me once we were filming something in like an estate and she came up and she said oh you're amazing I want you know I want to be you when when I grow up and and all I remember thinking was no you, re you really don't you don't <laughs> you don't want yeah. to be doing this because it's not you know yeah it's not at, like the the grind of it isn't as glamorous as no. as um you know it's perceived to be um and also um I suppose with it within that the fact that it we talked there about you know being protected like it's it's a protected space in itself and so it's hard to um maybe step step outside of that and do something different to that mm. but also as you say to, to speak up against it and to say you know these things aren't right these things shouldn't be happening um, and yeah. because it's so normalized within within the industry um and and you know a lot within society as well obviously is, is fed into that could you you know i suppose talk a bit more about complicit and in terms of 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 that and and um i suppose the journey you went through with um i, I guess there's a lot of experience that you put into that as well as i say from yourself but the sort of research that went into looking at that and understanding that obviously was the Me Too movement um, just, mm -hmm. was it just after it was published. Um, just after Dark Chapter was published. Yeah, yeah. So Dark Chapter, Chapter, yeah. yeah, it came out in, I think, October 2017 um, in the States. And then that was also the exact same week, you know, early October was when the Weinstein allegations went public. Um, mm. So actually, in terms of um, research for complicit like I actually I didn't do any research right like that was that was the appeal to me where I'm like oh no I actually intimately I know this industry so I don't have to do mm. the research so 
dark chapter, you know, I did all that research, uh, particularly to research Johnny's point of view, and um, just to kind of, and that was part of my own personal journey to, you know, reacquainting myself with Belfast, but um, but complicit, like, it was completely different. I, I, I felt on some level, even though there's still a five-year gap um, between the books coming out, a lot of that was because I had a baby <laughs> in between, mm. right? Um, but, like, so at the time, you know, I started writing it in summer of 2018, um, kind of like the day after I finished the book tour uh, or kind of my makeshift book tour for um, for Dark Chapter. Yeah, so I had my, I did my TEDx talk, um, the one which people can see online. And like the next day I started writing Complicit because um, I was very much kind of feeling like, okay, now the book is out and now I got to write a second book. And that's kind of a pressure, sort of an internal, but also external pressure that authors often feel like your first book like you know you have all the time in the world to write it and then the, mm. the second book you've just suddenly it's like people are expecting something from you and you have to kind of in that industry sense like capitalize on your first book um so I very much kind of felt the pressure to have to write the second book um and get it out there and particularly because it was around sort of a timely issue um mm. even though it's now 2002 the issue was still kind of timely although people are saying there's a backlash to me too um know what that means but um but yeah for me I was like okay well I want to write this because I actually don't have to do any research because I was just drawing upon like all my experience in the mm. film industry as you know a, somebody who started off as a producer's assistant and then was becoming on her way to becoming a producer um so thankfully I didn't have to do any research and that made it an easier in some ways uh process of writing it but then it was also um more you know, it's it's a more complicated book in terms of structure and perspective. Um, because with Dark Chapter, it's you know, it's the two perspectives, Vivian and Johnny, and, mm -hmm. and the book, the timeline just moves forward, right? You kind of see them from childhood growing up, leading to the moment of the assault, and then afterwards, right? So there isn't you're not switching timelines or anything like that. And with complicit, it's mainly one perspective. It's it's Sarah, who um is the woman who, you know, she's 39 when she gets an email from a New York Times journalist asking her about a male producer she used to work with in the film industry 10 years ago. She's no longer working in the industry. She's kind of teaching screenwriting um to a bunch mm -hmm. of kind of apathetic, you know, college students in the States, um, in, in Brooklyn. Um, so she feels very much out of the loop. Um, and she gets this, this email from a New York Times journalist saying, like, okay, there's this this producer I'm looking into, right? Um, and so that obviously conjures a lot of ghosts for her because you know, she's mm -hmm. obviously got her story and her experience. Um, but we don't know what exactly that is. So Complicit takes place over the course of kind of three interviews um, where she's telling this, this journalist, Tom Gallagher, who, um, you know, is himself, he's a, he's a very privileged young man, right? Um, and who, who gets a lot of praise for uncovering these stories of, of kind of misogyny within the film industry, which is like, yeah, but mm. you're a guy, like you've never had to experience what I've had to experience. Um, but, you know, um, so a lot, some of it's, so in the background, you kind of have their relationship and she's like quite antagonistic and like quite mistrusting of him, <laughs> while also realizing that this is an opportunity for her to kind of address what had happened to her. Mm. Um, so it's about those three interviews and gradually, obviously, you know, we learned what happened to her, but also how she kind of rose within the film industry, how she had her first in because she you know, is a child of Chinese immigrants. Her parents run a, a Chinese restaurant in Hong Kong. So she never had those kinds of connections mm. that would meet get you into the film industry so how she fostered this love for cinema and was able to kind of grow a promising career um and and the kind of regret that she now has looking back on maybe mm. the way she acted when she was younger and how besotted she was with the industry and how naive she was in some ways so 
so you're so it's two timelines and you're also like two kind of slightly different perspectives because it's like the older more bitter cynical sarah and then her mm. when she's young and kind of ambitious and maybe a bit naive and then that's also interspersed with um kind of transcripts from interviews that tom gallagher is doing with other women in the industry who had known um you know this hugo north this this supposed perpetrator um and so those women i kind of have slightly different perspectives and some of those perspectives like challenge what sarah's saying so i kind of wanted to provide this kaleidoscope of like you know the different roles that women can have in the film industry some of them most of them behind the scenes some of them like very visible right mm-hmm. um of actresses who are or actors female actors who are on screen um but also look at how you know everyone has a slightly different version of the events and how we may be complicit to a system that turns a blind eye to injustices right because we're ambitious ourselves and want to stay in the industry and have that kind mm-hmm. of glittering career that we dream of so yeah, so it's about that, really. Yeah, yeah, no, and I find that, I guess that element quite interesting in the, in the when she was obviously telling Tom Gallagher, right, um, you know, the story she, she left out, you know, she leaves out of heart that, you know, she feels actually like she was complicit in some way. And yeah. there's, there's, it was interesting, yeah, the, the guilt, I guess, that, she felt from that but had been holding it for so long yeah. um and again looking at kind of parallels between the two stories that in dark chapter um you know it was quite quick whereas for her obviously you said there it was 10 years between her leaving and her getting this email um and perhaps as we don't know but like you know it's kind of maybe the first time that she's really talked about it in such depth um yeah <clears throat> You know, for you, um, you know, I suppose I'm always sort of threading it back to you as the author, but, you know, how did this kind of um, your experiences of speaking out about your your what happened to you and, um, you know, how long did that take you to talk about it? And, you know, what was that like for you and how did that feed into the writing of, of these two books? Yeah, um. So like, you know, as I said it, for me, I, you know, the assault happened to me on a Saturday afternoon in 2018 and 2008. And then a few hours later, you know, it was a news story, you know, mm. in um, in the local radio um, in Northern Ireland. So, but and that was because the, the police were looking for witnesses, right? Um, you know, they didn't know who my rapist was at the time. Um, so it was kind of out there in the news already. Um, and so it was quite jarring for for me as, as the victim of that crime to be like, oh, the entire public, you know, all these people in Northern Ireland know about this rape that's happened. They didn't know it was me in particular, but there was mm. this kind of sense of, like, it was a Chinese woman who's been raped, you know, brutally beaten in the bushes and raped, you know. Um, and so that immediately conjures, like, images, which I felt was kind of quite very different from my own understanding of myself. Like, you know, I mean, we go mm. through our lives and we never want to see ourselves as victims or, sorry, not victims of that kind of um, crime. Um, so in terms of my own uh, uh, experience with um, the media and my own kind of um, attitude towards it, like it was, it was kind of a gradual process of being like, okay, it's out there, it's very visible, but it's not associated with my name. And it was a gradual process mm. of kind of identifying myself publicly. Um, so I did speak, you know, to the media in Northern Ireland at various points. And I finally, you know, did sort of go public. Um, in that sense, 
and you know it's very exposing i mean that's kind of what i'm looking at in my research my phd research that you know for a, a victim or survivor to choose to kind of say you know this is my name and i was raped you know and this is what the crime was like that is very very exposing quite you do feel quite emotionally vulnerable um but you know in some ways because my rape was so widely reported that already kind of gave me a platform because people knew about my rape right so i mm. if i was to choose to say i am that victim that you heard about in 2008 like that that was you know, i don't want to say privilege but that was a platform that already sort of been built by the media so so i, I you know so i i you know chose to to use that platform in some ways um mainly because i felt like it was important for the public to know that you know you can be raped and be the victim of something quite violent like that and still be able to speak afterwards mm. and like not be ashamed mm. of it right um mm. so every time i engage with the media um you know sometimes like the interview doesn't go as great as i'd like it to but i'm like no but that's still that's still progress that's still somebody hearing from a rape victim who isn't you know in tears talking about what happened to her right who's able to speak about it from a place of kind of um recovery um or but is also to speak quite openly about the kind of trauma it causes and the roots of that kind of behavior um so for me like that was my own sort of gradual process and then i guess if i look at you know vivian obviously it's very similar right because she is quite quite close to yeah. me but she in the book by the end of the book she's having an interview with a, a journalist in northern ireland over the radio but she hasn't told her family yet about it, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I have my own, you know, for me, it took me about three and a half years before I told my parents what happened. So there was this whole kind of facade of trying to pretend everything was normal, um, easier because they live thousands of miles away. Um, but, you know, I was kind of living alive for a while to my family. Um, and then in complicit, like that, you know, Sarah goes 10 years before she tells anyone really, right? Um, and that is a huge burden, right? And so for me, by that point, I, you know, I'd become more of an activist and set up clear lines. I So I engaged mm -hmm. with a lot and was working with a lot of other survivors, many of whom took a long time to tell anyone. And, you know, so I was just aware of the fact that, you know, my experience as somebody who's like rape was reported in the news and then like chose to like claim that kind of public platform is, is quite unusual, right? Um, I certainly wouldn't yeah. expect other people to do that. So um, the more usual route is for something to happen to you and to not really talk about it that much or to kind of keep it under wraps while you yourself are coming to terms with what happens to it and what happened to you, right, and the impact. Um, so that's kind of more Sarah's route. Like, I felt like that was probably quite realistic in some ways for somebody to have experienced what she went through, especially, you know, in the context of an abusive workplace and then have the trauma of actually just losing her career, you know, that she put so much into and how you know somebody might just tap all that down and try to find another life path but there is a lot of pain and kind of um, hurt there that needs to be addressed so yeah and what is the role of the media in allowing us to address that is that a good positive role or is the media sort of just exploiting us in some ways for, for content I mean that's an ongoing question um but yeah I mean you're very right in that like both protagonists have quite different paths um in terms of addressing their, their trauma but I also felt quite sort of the quite realistic in different ways because people do have different yeah. paths um yeah 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 definitely definitely um and like you say the, the different uh components that kind of influence whether we talk yeah. or, talk about it or not and um I guess you know a lot of the research in terms of looking at um the impact of PTSD on on someone this is just in terms of trauma in general um yeah. It, the greatest impact does not have in that connection and that ability to talk mm. about it to start mm. with so yeah. yeah really interesting that you kind of looked at the, the two perspectives somebody that's 
you know, able to talk about it, or at least um, reach out for that support straight away. Maybe not necessarily talk about it, but reach out and, and say something's happened versus someone who doesn't really have that outlet, doesn't really have yeah. that way of, of, um, of doing that, um, you know. Um, but it's, I suppose it's, uh, it's nice to feel that both of them had some form of resolution um, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, at yeah. the end, we're able to do that. So yeah, so um, I suppose kind of coming to like the end of our conversation, although I feel like I could talk to you for <laughs> a long time about all of this. Um, you know, obviously you were saying there that your most recent novel kind of touches on these topics a little bit, but it, it, you know, as you say, it's more for kind of the main the mainstream. Um, but how important do you feel it is for authors to talk about these topics and, and how do you feel they could be part of the conversation around social justice and particularly looking at violence against women and girls? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's really important um, because, you know, as authors or any kind of artist, right, you know, you have you have a platform, right? I mean, if mm. if you're at a point where, you know, people want to read your book, then actually that's that's quite nice because you can kind of put themes in there that you feel need to be spoken about um but then on the other hand like you know for me as an author it's like do I want to be defined by uh, as like the person who always writes about sexual violence right because it is you know it's quite it's a dark topic right and like you know and there, there's multitudes of angles in which to approach it at the same time I mean that's not like the only thing I want to write about right so um you know, I had a whole life and a whole set of interests before I became a rape victim, right? So, um, so for me, you know, writing about publicity was like my way to like tap into my love of, um, cinema, right? Um, and movies. Um, and so for my next book, it is it is about travel in a lot of ways because I love traveling. Um, mm. and that was a part of my life that kind of went missing for a few years after the assaults, and then again with pa the pandemic, right? So I guess it's about how do we feel we can move through this world and how safe do we feel we how safely can we move through this world as, as women and how that affects like kind of our attitudes in general um so that's kind of broadly what it's about it is a you know it's it's a, it's a road trip right um between siblings that have to drive route 66 together to see their mom um in california um so i won't go too much into that but i guess for me mm -hmm. yeah it is important to kind of write something that has meaning to you and so for me I, I wouldn't be able to write a book that doesn't tap on tap into issues that i've been thinking about a lot in my own life um maybe i'll reach some point in my career as an author where i can just write something that doesn't have anything to do with me but then at, at the same time i don't think it would be as effective a book if it doesn't if it's not invested with that kind of you know mm. personal thought and personal experience um yeah. yeah but I um just to, since we're on the topic of writing I know, I know you need to kind of end the our chat soon but there's um for clear lines you know um myself and Claire and Claire Shaw well Claire Shaw mainly with my assistants <laughs> devised this um creative writing guide um for mm. survivors um of sexual abuse or violence um and so that's free for people to download online on the clear lines website um and i'll send you the link um and that's just kind of we wanted to have that it's, it's a number of exercises i mean you, you've done some of them hannah when you went to our workshop and we wanted to kind of have that as a set of exercises that people can use and engage with to try to use writing um in order to come to terms with what happened to them right so um yeah and that's something that people can deal you know look at in their own time um you know you can write an exercise like once every week or once a month um but you know i am very much a believer of using art to kind of explore um 
your own experiences. Um, and it doesn't, you know, you don't have to have it published and turned into a novel because it's a whole other process. <laughs> and that's a whole other, you know, set of issues. Um, but like just the process of being able to create something about it, I think can be, um, you know, very rewarding for people, even though, you know, what you're creating is maybe not necessarily feel good, the act of creating it um, and the act of reminding yourself that you can actually create something new or produce something out of this, um, you know, is something that, you know, can be, possibly a way to recover in some ways so yeah 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 definitely that was actually I was going to throw in that that rogue question there and ask you know is there anything that you, you feel that people could um use if they felt writing was something that they wanted to to use to, to um process and to, to think about their experiences um so yeah I'll definitely um pop the link in for that and you know, I suppose thinking about your next steps you, that you spoke about your next book there, is there any sort of anything coming up with clear lines that um you know people can get involved with or anything else that you're doing in that field? Um, so at the moment with clear lines, because I'm you know, I'm now I'm trying to finish my PhD and write this other novel at the same time. Like I, I just don't have the time, right? I mean, I, I'm definitely clear lines, if you go to our website, we've got lots of videos of our past events. Like um mm. it's completely grassroots kind of volunteer-led um, effort. So, I mean, I, we don't have any funding, um, which is part of the issue because, you know, if we had funding, then we could pay people or pay myself to be able to create more events like this. Um, but we don't. So in some ways, it's, it's kind of an open thing. Like if, if somebody wants to partner with us to do an event, mm. like we have you know, we have like an audience of, there's like 800 people on our mailing list. So there definitely is an audience of people out there that want to engage with this issue. Um, you know, I started Clear Lines in 2015. Um, and, you know, that went before hashtag me too became prominent, you know, before any of the kind of more recent conversations about sexual violence. But so I've always kind of known there, there's people out there, you know, victims like yourself and myself and survivors and advocates who want to use art to engage with these experiences. Um, so, yeah, I mean, occasionally I put out newsletters, but like certainly I encourage people to go to our website and look at the videos, um, use our writing guide. And if they want to, you know, reach out and see if they want to kind of collaborate on an online event mm. or um, or an in-person event but you know there are obviously other organizations that do similar things now and it's more about you know knowing that that community is out there and that kind of that content yeah. is out there for people to engage with so yeah um so yeah I mean it's you know like again with trauma like there's only so much you can do at once right so I, I can't expect to be able to like run clear lines on no funding and also write a novel <laughs> and yeah. also do my PhD at the same time so um yeah I think you kind of have just have to be realistic about what you can do but you know I'm quite ha proud of what we've accomplished you know I, I know yeah. a lot of people that have since gone on to create really good art and build communities around this issue kind of met at clear lines or kind of were inspired by coming to our first festivals yeah yeah yeah, yeah. amazing yeah something else to to yeah to take stock of I guess in terms of all the work that you've done so far um and to know that as you say that you know it's it's still there it's still influencing and impacting people so yeah yeah so thank you so much and I hope this podcast will do you know the same and and really inspire people to um to try and use the arts and try and use writing as a way of, of processing but also to know that there are books out there that explore this theme um, you know that it, if they kind of want a way into to trying to understand it and and think about it that they can they can do that and, and your books are uh, some of those so 
Um, so yeah, so thank you so much and, and best of luck with yeah, the PhD, the next um, you know, book. And uh really excited to to read it and see yeah. see where things go next. Yeah, thanks, okay. Anna. I really appreciate it. Thanks. I mean, it was a really interesting conversation. And, and, and you know, thanks for putting this podcast together also, because I know it'll reach a lot of people and make a difference. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode helpful, then please help us spread the word by leaving us a favourable review. And remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the topics we have discussed, have ideas for topics or guests for future episodes, or would like to know how I can support you further in your healing journey, then please email me on gbtpodcast at hankim.com. Have a great day, and remember, there is growth beyond trauma for you.